The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and their lives. I'm your co-host, Kara Green, and in this episode, I'm flying solo and talking to Jim Amundsen, P-E-S-E, out of San Diego, California, who is the Vice President and Principal at Kaufman Engineers, about important aspects you need to know about when selecting the appropriate structural framing system for a building. Let's jump into our conversation of the week with Jim Amundsen, P-E-S-E. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today, especially with your position in Kaufman Engineers. But in your own words, could you please tell our listeners what you do on a daily basis with Kaufman? Thanks, Kara. Certainly a pleasure to be on the show and participate. With Kaufman, I'm a senior level principal practicing out of their San Diego office. So my day-to-day consists of everything from maintaining existing client relationships, That might be with architects, general contractors, developers, owners. Of course, I'm always uh, on the lookout for procuring new projects. Internally, I kind of serve as that senior advisor type role, offering input on projects as needed, perhaps performing an internal QA type check. But saying all that, I'm also frequently involved very early on many of our projects. When I say early on, I'm talking about the concept and schematic design phase, where a lot of key decisions are being made, particularly on structural framing systems. So I try to set up a project in its right direction before we hand it off to an internal team of project managers and project engineers. And many of the parts and pieces have been loosely vetted with the architectural team. I really enjoy that aspect of what I'm still involved with. I feel like that's kind of the exciting part when you become a principal, you get to bring all of the pieces together. At one point, I was a graduate engineer before I started in my position that I had before this one. And uh, I know that sometimes the grunt work and the the principals were always like the glorious top who got to go on all of the fun trips and do all of the marketing and all of the exciting things. One thing that I want to talk about and what you mentioned is, you know, you work a lot towards, you know, helping develop the structural systems on a higher level. There's a lot of factors that come into play when designers specify structural framing, and it comes from the architect, their idea. What is your thought process if you're working with an architect or owner in selecting a structural framing system for the project they have in mind? In many ways, the thought process almost starts immediately when we get contacted about a particular project, and meaning if we get uh, an inquiry about a, a new building that's going to be a commercial office building versus an academic type building versus a healthcare facility versus a lab research type facility. You're almost immediately 
the wheels are starting to spin. Like what is going to be the right structural framing system for that particular building type? Of course, what kind of goes in conjunction with that is depending on what the building type is going to be, there's building code provisions that there's building code provisions that pertain particularly to that type of building, meaning live load requirements, fire rating type requirements. We in San Diego do quite a few of the lab research buildings. So there might even be a vibration type criteria that we have to think about. And then lastly, in California here, you're always thinking about your lateral resisting system. And so you might already be thinking about what's going to be appropriate for this building type. The other part of the early thought process I try to vet is try to understand the owner's and the architect's design intent, meaning are does the owner have a desire to have a showcase type building? Maybe it's going to be a headquarters for a certain company. So they want a nicer looking building, if you want to call it that. Others might say, hey, I'm just looking to have kind of that code minimum type building and, you know, no bells and whistles, but, you know, make a code compliance, that type of thing. So that does help you start formulating in your head what might be an appropriate structural system. Lastly, on this kind of design intent, Understanding what the architect might be trying to do, meaning we're working with more and more architects that are exposing the structural elements, particularly if it's a concrete frame building, they might be looking to do, if it's more of that showcase building, longer cantilever condition, something that gives a little pop, if you will, and some aesthetic interest to it. So all those things start formulating your early thought process of what the right structural framing system is. I probably should preface you know, here in San Diego, the vast majority of our projects turn out to be type one facilities, which require non-combustible material. We actually don't work on a lot of projects that involve, say, wood framing. So almost always our choices are steel or concrete. So that's where our mindset goes almost immediately. So some of the things I was just mentioning about, you know, live load criteria, design intent, owners, expectations type thing all kind of start factoring into that ultimate decision and maybe elaborating a little bit more on the owner side of things. It might not be full-on performance-based design, but I mentioned earlier, trying to understand what their expected performance levels are. Are they looking for long-term durability? Is future flexibility important? If it's going to be a spec office building, they might want ultimate flexibility for a new tenant that's moving in, it might require a new floor opening, let's say. I mentioned earlier about vibration criteria frequently comes into play on many of our lab research facilities. And it's more, it's not so much on the human perceptibility side of vibration, but it's sensitive equipment that's going to be housed in there. And so certain vibrations that you or I might not feel, it could affect the instrumentation. So those type of things, along with some of your basics that you expect to get from the architect in terms of a floor plan, a potential column grid. Are they looking for what would be the column dimensions, if you will? And that's oftentimes they're getting driven by the building type. Certain building types might play well to a certain grid module. And so the architect will set it up accordingly. Once we have all those various parts and pieces, then we can start taking a critical look at what's the right approach. And I don't know if there's any one factor that drives us towards saying, oh, this should be a steel building or this should be a concrete building. There's many factors and certain factors like a vibration criteria, maybe the need for the added mass is going to push you towards a concrete solution. Whereas 
maybe if the need for maximum flexibility down the road, a little bit of speed of construction, maybe that starts pushing you towards a steel frame solution. It's always really interesting kind of working with different stakeholders and their expectations and managing their expectations while also validating some of the products that they want to use or they have ideas in using. So obviously we want everything to be code approved and, you know, meet all of those expectations and criteria just based on, I'm not super familiar with California. I'm in Texas myself, but I assume I've heard of Ashbot. I've heard the whole shebang of laundry list of stakeholders that all count in the conversation. And I know that all comes with some sort of validation in the decision to proceed forward with the design documents. You touched on it a little bit about the flexibility of steel outside of like a concrete structure. Can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of a steel framed building versus a concrete framed? There have been a lot of buzzwords recently, especially with what happened in Miami. There's like, I've learned about ductile concrete, non-ductile concrete, which I'm coming from Texas again, you know, we don't, nothing really shakes around here. Those are new things that I am learning about. But when you look at the pros and cons between the two, based in your jurisdiction, can you elaborate on those a little bit? So one of the, the things that comes up on almost every project is schedule. Of course, when does the owner ultimately looking to have their building complete? And, and in a way, you start working backwards from there, meaning when do they need to start construction? And if they need to start construction, when do you need to submit to the billing department? to get through the plan review, pull permits, and then how much duration of time do you need to get through all the various design phases to get there. If it's an accelerated schedule, and even if it's not, I suppose, one thing, an advantage of steel in general is that steel will always be erected faster than concrete. Many of our projects, we actually early on look at both the steel and the concrete solution and get input from the general contractor if they're on board, kind of get input from architectural side as well as the owner side, because there's a number of, I guess I'll call it the pros cons that you're asking about of one over the other. So little things, if they're looking to start construction immediately, sometimes concrete's a better option because it can be sourced locally, whereas steel has is a very long lead item up to a half a year or even more. So there's a little bit more forethought that has to go into making sure you, you procure the steel in a timely fashion so it gets to a job site. I just mentioned about steel going up faster, but we're learning that if you take some of the advantages that come along with concrete, things like you can actually look to reduce your floor-to-floor height because the overall structural depth on a concrete building, it can be considerably less than the overall structural depth on a steel building. To give you a for instance, I would say on average, the steel depth on a steel building, if that includes the concrete fill, metal deck, and then the depth of the steel framing, it's around 30 inches. And on a comparable grid system, you might be able to get by with a 12-inch thick concrete flat slab. So that 18 inches from a cost standpoint can quickly play into it if you have a multi-story building and you're taking 18 inches out of each floor. An advantage to steel is Overall, it has lesser mass. It doesn't weigh as much as a concrete building. So consequently, your foundation systems won't be as impacted on a steel building as concrete. I mentioned earlier about the flexibility. You're certainly going to get more flexibility with a steel frame building 
flexibility meaning the ability to make adjustments to it down the line, cut holes through the floor, maybe even implement a new stairwell, that type of thing. Whereas not that it can't be done with concrete, it's just a little bit more difficult and not as clear. Working on the back on the schedule side of things, a big advantage of concrete is it already has its inherent fireproofing. So steel needs to be fireproofed. Steel oftentimes is, say, wrapped with an architectural finish. You think of the columns that are instead of an exposed steel column, they finish it off with chipboard and, and stud framing, which is added cost and added time. And whereas on a concrete building, those columns can stay exposed. There's no need to firm out. Uh, sometimes they elect to, but sometimes they don't. So the really interesting dilemma is if you take all of these into account, we're finding actually that from start to finish, a concrete building can be completed in the same time frame as steel, even though you might see the, the steel skeleton framing go up much faster. But by the time you start implementing, as I just mentioned, you know, fireproofing and finish work and Potentially, if, if it's a higher floor to floor, you have more exterior skin framing to put up and all these type of things that also add to a construction schedule. And consequently, very oftentimes, the, the actual cost between the two is not much different. So it can often boil down to, is it the steel or is it the concrete? Back to an earlier comment about what's the design intent. If the architect is intending to highlight or expose the concrete, whether that's columns, whether that's walls, maybe it's slab edges at the floor levels, those type of things become design elements. Those start playing into, we might, oftentimes we're actually told we want this to be a concrete building. So we're taking, we kind of validate it, if you will, but we're not necessarily driving the decision solely by ourselves. There's many factors that come into that play. This is just kind of going on right now with the pandemic. We're seeing it from the manufacturing side as a delay due to raw materials. There was a really interesting article posted in The Economist, which granted it's an Economist article, but they were discussing like shipping, you know, just your regular basic goods have become really hard to come by. And a lot of iron products actually do come from overseas. In just recent designs, when your structural framing, have y'all in your validation process kind of been directing your shareholders towards a different method of structural framing? You know, have y'all kind of directed like we have seen over the past, however, six to 18 months that it is more advantageous to a construction timeline to build with concrete over steel due to these access limitations. Have you all seen any of that? We generally rely on our general contractor partners to really drive that discussion. That's where they're really attuned to as well. I did read an article recently, and and since you mentioned COVID, my understanding is on the price escalation standpoint, concrete hasn't moved much in the past 12 plus months, whereas steel is, I guess that's across the board, but structural steel, I I, I believe is up about 25%. So we are starting to hear more discussions about cost impact to projects. You also mentioned about the lead time, kind of that whole supply chain disruption that has been going on. I mentioned earlier about on steel buildings, the critical aspect of procuring your steel and getting your steel mill order in in a timely fashion. And we are understanding that you have to start the process even earlier than we did, say, two years ago, to make sure that there's not a disruption to the overall schedule. 
And that's also driving why we are frequently asked, hey, can you give us a high-level steel solution and can you give us a high-level concrete solution? It might just be concrete volumes and, say, reinforcing on a square footage basis, or even for the steel, it might just be based on our past experience, here's what we think is a good allowance for tonnage to use. And, and a general contractor can put kind of that ROM level of a cost estimate together to help start validating the decision for the ownership. And particularly if they have a, a budget they're trying to meet, which all projects do in general. I don't believe we've experienced a project that has, has actually switched from one material to the other because of this. It is a frequent discussion on almost every project at this point right now. You actually kind of foreshadowed my question, which was going to be, have y'all had like a, a mid-change shift, you know, going from like a podium build or something to something completely different? Because I know right now I have a few friends who are in the construction industry and timelines are even tighter, you know, or I should say timelines don't have as much padding right now because they're trying to get everything done that was delayed last year. But that's good to know. I mean, that is good that you can validate those decisions for your owners and your stakeholders. It's great to always have. And also just the input from a professional on everyone is experiencing that right now. And having someone kind of speak to it is really nice. It's interesting on the supply chain, you know, just to hear the conversations about we're very focused on the structural systems right now, but the impacts to so many trades. When it comes to steel, it could be mechanical duct work. It could be some of the sheet metal flashing work, on and on and on. And currently, it's a real challenge for the general contractors to pull it all together and keep it under control to try to meet an owner's desired schedule. This may be a good question, and maybe you can provide input, because I know there's two construction methods. You know, there's like the design, bid, build, and then a lot of times they're design, build, where the contractor is a little closer to heart. Has that influenced in how you consult your architects and owners? Because when I think of design build, I think of the contractor, the GC in that conversation, where as opposed to design bid build, you know, it's more of a separate conversation where your construction documents are kind of in place before you bring in the contractor. Have you seen any changes in conversations in that way? Yes. And, and, you know, actually, I feel fortunate being on the design side, but the San Diego area in Southern California, I'll say overall, has really embraced the design build delivery system for quite a few years now. It's not new to us. And so we're, we're very accustomed to having them as a partner at the table early on. It's certainly my own personal preference of working. I realize sometimes we do have to do the, more of the traditional design bid build. But to your point, you don't have that construction piece in the room to kind of validate decisions, offer input on some of the topics we're talking about, maybe help sway in the decision one way or another based on what they know, availability of materials type thing. So we're big advocates for the design build delivery method. And now they're going to other aspects of it, like progressive design build, little variations, if you will. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting all the, the design partners the construction partners and the ownership in the room together working towards a common goal. I've personally found that when all three pieces, if you will, are working together, the end results generally much more favorable than they're getting more of the traditional design bid build where if you bring a contractor in late and 
they fit it. It's not that to become adversarial, but all of a sudden now you realize, oh shoot, we have a budget overage and you're starting to kind of backtrack to get them back on budget. Whereas in design build, that doesn't happen as frequently. You're trying to, you know, the contractor is constantly pricing the current design and kind of helping validate the overall construction budget is still reasonable. Thank you so much for your feedback. And kind of to end off here, because we did introduce you and you've had, you've offered a lot of great advice, especially dealing with all of the stakeholders that come within a structural project and determining your structural framing system. But if you were to speak to younger engineering students, because we do have them in our listening audience, what would you tell them to have the same success that you're having where you do have such open communication with all stakeholders in your work, in your line of work? When I think back on my career, coming out of school and and starting work, I was always fortunate to work for firms that had projects in a variety of markets and types. So I'm a big advocate for young engineers trying to get a variety of experience, not just material type of experience, but, you know, building types and doing some renovation work or maybe even tenant improvement work and then ground up work. And at Kaufman here, we're not doing a lot of wood frame construction, but I have done wood frame construction in the past. And when it does come up from time to time, I feel I still have a little bit of knowledge base that I can tap into and, and think about and go back to. I'm not a big advocate for young engineers to quickly get pigeonholed into doing one type of thing. So if they're able to, or they desire to, maybe not everyone's the same, but you can get a variety of experience. I think that's great. I also would promote getting involved in any kind of professional organization. You can here in California, it's all about the Structural Engineers Association of California, and we have it at the national level. But you know, you start interacting with your colleagues, you give back to your profession. It's, it's amazing how much you get back in return for participating. Last piece I would say is the more you can get involved with networking type events, start building your web of contacts, architectural firms, your own colleagues, other design professionals. And through the years, I've just found all of that collectively has been beneficial to me when, whether it's getting on a project or reaching out to somebody that I know has a certain expertise, it's very valuable to have that. I use the term web of contacts. I felt the same way. I am still kind of a fairly new engineer, but that has seemed to be building a network has been invaluable. So that is a great note for our younger engineers who listen, or even some of our other engineers who may have felt that they have gotten pigeonholed. You made that mention. You can always expand your contact base. And anytime you want to get out of that hole that they've pigeoned you in, reach out to them. There's always opportunities. There might be opportunities is right. Thank you so much, Jim, for your time today. It was a great conversation and it was so lovely hearing from you. Well, thank you, Kara. I enjoyed it as well. hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or any questions you may have. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com.
There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 61, as well as any links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.